So, um, I want to thank Pastor Art and also his wife, his son, and his daughter back there. I was told you you're going to be running, so we're, we're, we're working together today as far as the, uh, the slides. So, I want to thank you for the warm welcome, greeting that you have given me so far. It's been wonderful to be able to be here. My wife, um, my boys are here with me today. Um, and indeed, yes, it's, it's not uh, ideal, but praise God we're here. <laughs> um, just as a way of introduction, uh, yes, I am the Associate Director for the Florida Conference as far as youth and young adults. Let me just give you a little context of what that means. So how many of you are familiar with Pathfinders? Yeah, so I don't do that. Um, <laughs> so basically, I, I take over where Pathfinders ends. <laughs> uh, we, we try to make certain that we have youth programs, um, discipleship opportunities. We help to continue nurture your young people, your young people that are in your homes. After starting around 16 to 31 plus, the plus is there because it's complicated. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, you know it, people are not growing up or not, mm, uh, how do I put that? People are not maturing uh, in the ways that they used to in the past. Some of the benchmarks that used to be kind of kicking off, they're not hap happening in the same order as they used to happen. And so the plus is there because we got to minister to all of them, even if they're 35 and still trying to figure things out. Yeah. So um, that's, that's a little bit about the Youth and Young Adult Ministry of the Florida Conference. Um, I try to take these opportunities to let you know about some of the initiatives and uh, programs that we are doing. If you're a youth and young adult leader and you're interested in getting some leadership pointers, uh, every month, twice a month actually, we have something called a bi-weekly leadership training. Uh, we just had one this last Thursday. It happens Thursday, so the next one won't be this coming Thursday, but the following Thursday. So if you're interested in that, I'll give you uh, some information on how you can be able to jump in on that. We also have um, something called Lead Deeper. Uh, it's kind of like a do-it-yourself youth and young adult ministry gathering. Again, for youth and young adult leaders, these are all online, though. So the bi-weekly is a Zoom meeting. This one is also Lead Deeper is also a Zoom meeting. So if you're interested in that, again, I will share more information on how to get in touch with that. Um, how many of you are in college? College, anyone in college here? College students. All right, I see a hand in the back. And I see another one in the back. So we've got a free college retreat. Emphasize again, free college retreat. I, I shouldn't say free. You should congratulate yourselves. That's your tithe dollars at work. Um, it's a free college retreat. It's happening July 8th to the 10th at Camp Kalakwa. So if you're interested, you want to register for that because we only have space for 300. And we've rolled this out for the entire state of Florida. And we already have, uh, my administrative assistant identified, we're already at around 200 um, who have registered for it. And we rolled it out four weeks ago. So if you want to be a part of that, register. I'll give you how to register in just a moment. Also, uh, we have our Youth Annual Council. This is an opportunity where we recognize the best people to identify how to do programming are the young people themselves. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. So, um, so our, we have a Youth Annual Council where we gather together young people, young adult leaders, young adults themselves, 
to give us an idea of what you want to see for the next year's events. That's going to be happening in November 19th in Central Florida, and we'll give more information as that comes closer. And so let me see, yeah. Um, if you're, again, these are a lot of stuff for youth leaders. If you're interested in getting training, if you're a new youth leader, I know a lot of churches are going through nominating committee because COVID just finished or kind of. <laughs> um, so if you're in that number, you've just been tapped to be a youth leader and you don't know really what you're supposed to be doing, this is a great opportunity. We're doing a training on how to create an atmosphere of belonging in your youth group. Uh, we did one in North Florida. Uh, we're going to be at the conference office next weekend. We are coming to Sarasota. I think that might be the closest one to y'all here. And then um, we're, we're also in Broward County at the Sawgrass Adventist School. Um, those dates are there. Um, so you can jump in on that if you are interested. And then this is how you really get to know everything that we're doing. So we are on the socials. We're on Instagram, Twitter, eh, Facebook, yeah. Um, but um, but we're definitely on Instagram. We're, we're definitely active on Instagram. Um, Snapchat, mm, TikTok, no, we're not on that. Anyway. So, um, uh, but you can text the word youth to 77411, and you can be a part of our texting group. That gets you in the know for everything that's happening. We send out text messages about what's upcoming, about registering for um, upcoming events. If you are a new youth leader and we don't have your information, you're not getting our emails or newsletters or packets in the mail, I invite you to go to acnugent.com info and fill out the form there. That'll get you connected with me. And if you're interested, every week, Friday at 1 p.m., I send out a newsletter about the stuff that's happening across the state, particularly here in the South, um, and if you're interested in signing up for that newsletter, uh, you can go to acnugent.com slash news. All right, that's the uh, commercials. Now we're ready for the main program. Um, <laughs> let's go. All right, so um, yes. I, oh, yeah, I was supposed to say, and I'm still new at this thing. Uh, so because I'm a part of the conference, they asked me to say a word. So say I'm saying hi on behalf of all the conference folk. Um, yes. <laughs> Hi, all right, yeah, all right, great, okay. <laughs> I've done my job. All right, so, <laughs> um, <sighs> all right, so I'm gonna move this, to, can I move this over here? All right, straight, okay, good. Okay, this will be better for me because I can look at it. So, all right, with my, with my message today, and I, we, we wanted something for Mother's Day, and as we are here on this weekend, um, celebrating mothers. Lord, um, impressed upon me a message I hope will, um, while honoring mothers, will also speak to the need that we have in our church for youth and young adults, particularly their discipleship. Amen. Um, and so uh, as we begin, I want to tell you a story, a story of a young man who picked his, I don't know his real name, but I, he picked his um, he picked his handle, his, his uh, online screen name, as House of Wolves 12. Now, that speaks to our community that we have a House of Wolves 1 through 11, and he had to pick 12. But um, I digress. House of Wolves 12 posted on a Reddit um, a forum 
The forum is really kind of a place where individuals go to to identify if they were the jerk. They kind of post their art scenario and identify, okay, was I the jerk in this situation or am I like going crazy? And so House of Wolves 12 posted a question to this forum um, and, and he posted a question where, where he was sharing his scenario. So let me share, you, uh, share, share with you his scenario. He um, has a girlfriend. His girlfriend lives with him. Um, and uh, his girlfriend's daughter also lives with him. Um, they are uh, living together. The girlfriend works very long hours throughout the day um, and goes away from the house early in the morning. The boyfriend, House of Wolves 12, um, uh, works from home. As he's working from home, obviously, the young girl goes off to school during the daytime. Friday, March the 25th, um, the mother, his girlfriend, who goes off to work early in the morning, um, everything's going regular as it usually does until he, he calls her his stepdaughter. So he, his stepdaughter comes downstairs and identifies that uh, she is not feeling well. As a matter of fact, she's actually in tears at this point at the amount of pain that she is in. And, and, and so she asks if she could stay home from school. So House of Wolf 12, I, I think he's been around the block at least once or twice, says, all right, let me call my girlfriend to make certain that this is all right. He calls once. No answer. He calls twice. No answer. He calls a third time, no answer. Texts, still no response. Finally, he decides she's really in pain. I don't think she's faking it. I'm going to let her stay home from school. So he does. And the girlfriend eventually comes home. He thought he had done a good thing. But when the girlfriend came home, uh, let's just say that um, she was less than pleased. She was actually quite angry. And she accused him of two things, according to his post. She accused him of parenting her child and of making her look like a bad mom. And so he posts his message to the forum. Am I really the jerk here? So the question that he was asking, I, I, I feel like, and again, I'm, I'm sharing this because this young man learned firsthand the raw power of her permission. And I want you, to, and this is, a, this, is my, this is my sermon in a sentence, seven words, if you remember this, you remember the entire sermon. I'm going to ask you to repeat it after I say it, okay? Salvation and deliverance wait for her permission. Can you say it? I'm going to repeat it one more time, and then you're going to say it, okay? Salvation and deliverance waits for her permission. Your turn. All right, now, 
There is a story in the Bible where this is indeed very true. So I invite you to study with me for the next few moments under the topic that I have entitled, Mother May I. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, whatever form it may take, you can find us over in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus, some of y'all thought I was talking about Mary. Uh, you're wrong. I'm not talking about Mary. Um, we are talking about a different lady in the Bible. I'm going to play, place this over here. We're, we're going to be talking about, actually, uh, the family of Moses. So Exodus chapter 3, um, and there in the, the text, we catch up with Moses. Moses has spent some time on the mountain. If you've watched the Charlton Heston movie, Ten Commandments, you'll be familiar with this part where he sees a bush that's burning. He goes over to it, but it's not being consumed by the fire. And in that place, there's this like odd voice with a real echo that says, we're supposed to be God, who says, um, you know, take off your sandals from off your feet because the place where you're standing is holy ground. There's a whole conversation. That conversation happens here in Exodus chapter 3 all the way to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 23. Uh, there's a whole lot of back and forth, a whole lot more back and forth than you would expect from a, a godly person speaking to God about his calling. But he, I mean, Moses is just that kind of guy. You know, he, he, he goes to God. He tells God, I'm not really a speaker. I'm not really big on the whole public speaking thing. So maybe you have the wrong person for this job. And, and he, he tells God, all right, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really even interested in going back. I mean, there's a whole lot of back and forth. Ultimately, God finally sends Moses off the mountain with a call to deliver his children from, Israel, from, from Egypt and their slavery that they are experiencing there. He gives them a couple of miracles. He gives them his name, and he says that his younger brother, or actually his older brother, is going to be his mouthpiece in the whole process. He descends the mountain, and he goes and he tells his wife, Zipporah. As he tells his wife, Zipporah, about what God has called him to do, they decide to go to Egypt, the whole family. They pack up, and they travel now to Egypt. Now, Egypt is not a close place. Um, and so as they're traveling, they, they have some rest stops. They, they have some places where they spend the night to get some rest, okay? And so the Bible tells us uh, at, the, at the retreat, now remember, this is right after God has told Moses, I'm sending you to do this job. And immediately, maybe, maybe it might be the night of or maybe a couple nights later, they're at this retreat on their way to Egypt to do what God has called them to do. And the Bible says, now it came about at the lodging place on the way. I'm going to continue on. Let's see. Okay, yes. Um, this is the actual full text. There we go. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him, speaking of Moses, that the Lord met him and sought to what? To put him to death. Huh. That's odd. This is the same guy that he just sent to go and deliver the children of Israel from their Egyptian bondage. What has happened in this short time period that Moses is now about to get dead. What happened? Don't read ahead in the text. You'll find out. 
but that's fine. Uh, if you do, that'd be great. That'd be you reading the Bible. Anyway, um, anyway so um, he's there at this place, this retreat at nighttime. He's about to get killed. We don't know much else. The Bible tells us, uh, actually, um, in, in, in not Bible, Ellen White tells us in um, Patriarchs and Prophets that it was actually an angel. An angel appeared to him in a threatening manner as if he would immediately destroy him. What is happening here? Why is God about to kill Moses? As a matter of fact, this is very similar to what happened to, to David. David, he went and counted the nation of Israel and God wasn't happy with it, so he sends his angel and he's about to kill a whole bunch of people in the nation. Balaam also, you remember the children's story, Balaam, he's traveling, wanting to get a lot of money, but not really in the will of God. And, and, and the donkey sees the angel, but Balaam is blinded by his greed and doesn't see the angel. And, and, and the donkey has to have a conversation with him. So the, God sends angels to take out his, his, his people a lot of times. But in both of those instances, it was obvious that the, the people who were doing it were doing something wrong. In this case... We don't know yet why it is that Moses is about to be killed by this angel. So what is the reason? The Bible tells us that Zipporah, in verses, now, now, this, is, now this is where it gets kind of graphic. The, Zipporah took a flint, it's a, like a knife, a small knife. She took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you're indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. You're indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. The verse continues on. So he, speaking of the angel, let him, speaking of Moses, alone. At that time, she, speaking of Zipporah, said, again, mind you, you are a bridegroom of blood because of, because of the circumcision. So Zipporah, in this moment where she sees that Moses is about to be killed by an angel of the Lord, recognizes that there is something that she can do to stop this from happening. She goes and basically performs an emergency circumcision on her son. And after she does it, she throws the refuse at the foot of Moses saying twice, you are a bridegroom of blood. And the text says it is because of the circumcision why all of this happened. So what's going on here? It seems as though in the text that the reason for all of this was that there was some marital disagreement between Moses and Zipporah. Sometime earlier, Moses and Zipporah had had some kind of conversation. And the conversation went something like this. This is my, 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 uh, my imagination here. Uh, Moses, being a child of Israel, recognized that at the eighth day, he is supposed to circumcise his son. Zipporah, being a child of Midian, and not growing up with this practice was like, why are you mutilating my child? And the argument starts between them about having this procedure done. At the end of the argument, Moses decides 
in order to keep the peace in his house, all right, we won't circumcise him. We'll do it your way. And they leave it at that. Afterwards, um, things are going fine. Nothing's wrong. It seems like everybody is happy until they have to go out to do God's will. And the angel of the Lord comes to them and about to kill not the child, not Zipporah, but Moses. And in that moment, Zipporah recognizes, maybe she was led by the Holy Spirit, maybe she recognized that that was the thing that was hindering them, that was about to destroy her family. Praise God, she was sensitive enough to be able to recognize what was really the issue. And she goes and does what she never wanted to do in the first place in order to save her family. Now, I, I, you might think, oh, that's a really, really weird kind of thought, but I, I do have some basis for my imagination. So, uh, Patriarchs and Prophets does identify, no explanation was given, but... Moses remembered that he had disregarded one of God's requirements, yielding to the persuasion of his wife. He had neglected to perform the rite of circumcision upon his youngest son. He had failed to comply with the conditions of, uh, by which his child could be entitled to the blessing of God's covenant with Israel. And such a neglect on the part of their chosen leader could not but lessen the force of divine precept upon the people. She continues on, and she says, let me see. Nope, I guess it's not moving. There, nope, did I miss one? Go back. No, I guess that's it. Thank you. All right, so um, we see that it's so, so so we see that Ellen White even is identifying that this was the case. Because of the because of the, the, the solemn covenant. As a matter of fact, we see this in Genesis 17, verses 19 through 17. I'm going to forego reading the entire thing, but basically this is where God tells Abraham that this was supposed to be a covenant between, all, between Abraham and all of his children, that they were supposed to be circumcised in the flesh. So this was not just something that was a random thing. God intended that this was supposed to be a part of their life. And Moses was about to die because he did not follow that precept. It's interesting. Um, it says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. This is no uncertain thing. Every male. As a matter of fact, the text goes on to identify that even the servants who were born in the house, were to undergo this procedure. Every single one of the people who are part of God's house. And the punishment for this, the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. I didn't come here as an advocate for circumcision. That's not my interest. Not my interest. Um, but <laughs> I am sharing the power of a mother. 
This man, Moses, murdered somebody because he thought what they were doing was unjust. This man fled from Egypt, crossed the desert, and found himself in Midian and made a life for himself, marrying the eldest daughter of the high priest of Midian there. This man walked and stood before God, had an argument with God about him not being the right pick for delivering the children of Israel. But when faced with a disagreement with his wife, chose peace over doing what he thought and what God had decreed was right. And I want you to consider what would have happened if Moses had died that day. What would have happened? As a matter of fact, more, more, more importantly, what would not have happened? The children of Israel would not have been delivered. An entire nation would have not been saved from their own slavery. And so this is why I asked you earlier on, I said the whole message is really encompassing that one sentence. Salvation and deliverance wait for her permission. This is actually from the Assembly of Venice Bible Commentary. They're commenting on the text and they say, speaking of Zipporah, not believing in the necessity of circumcision, Zipporah had resisted her husband's intention to circumcise Eliezer, that's the name of the youngest son, at the appointed time. It's supposed to be eight days afterwards. They didn't do it. Okay, whatever. Next, the appearance of the angel made it clear that her opposition did not excuse Moses from administering the rites. So the message here is that she recognized that what she had done was about to have her, son, her husband killed, that he was actually outside of God's will. And she was sensitive enough and humble enough to make the wrong right. So it finishes with these words. Let's see. Nope. There we go. Now that her husband's life was in danger, she found it necessary to carry out the operation herself. So we're coming to a close. I, I'm, I don't preach that long. I, I, my, um, I tell people that I, my sermons are the opposite of how I look. Short and really, really rough. Yes. Anyway, no. Um, so I'm finishing. Conclusion. The conclusion of this message is this. Just simply. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a message to empower mothers to recognize the power that you have in the home. Uh, I, could, I could relate to you any number of different statistics. But I will share with you one that I found extremely helpful. Uh, just recently, uh, and, uh, actually, it was, a, it was a, a kind of a retesting to see if this thing was actually good. 
a book came out for Adventist young kids. It was written by a man by the name of Dudley. He also did a long series on um, a value genesis. Um, and in that study, he identified eight factors, eight factors for youth retention. The eight factors that predicted whether a young person stayed in the church through their adulthood. Um, and in those eight factors, he did that around 2009. Well, that's like, you know, for, for young people, that's like, you know, yeah, it's forever ago. So um, anyway, they, in, the, in the academic arena, they, they chose to test those eight factors to see if they were still good. The, the retest of the eight factors happened in 2019, and they just published the results of it recently. And what they found was that those eight factors that he found in 2009 are still valid today. That they still do a great job at predicting whether or not a young person is in the church through their adulthood. And you know what the number one factor they identified was? A mother's attendance in church. The number one factor, a mother's attendance in church. Barna studies um, of household for teens, particularly mothers, more often than fathers or any other category of frequently participants in household are seen as the confidants, providers of support, and drivers of faith formation. That was Barna. That's another study that identified the same thing about mothers. Teens go to mom for tough conversation and personal support. Mothers are the main spiritual coaches for teens. And that, now, they, they were actually identifying that that shouldn't be the case. Fathers should also do their job. So this is not, just a, this is not for you to clock out, dads. This is, you, you got you to up your game, too, um, on this. But moms, we cannot overestimate the power that you have over your children, their faith formation, and the fact that they'll be in the church when, you're, when they're adults. So the sentence is not just talking about Israel. The sentence is not just talking about um, Egyptian slavery, but salvation and deliverance, even today, for your children. Wait for your permission. So I would encourage you, mothers, on this Mother's Day weekend, to take seriously the call that God has uniquely placed upon your shoulders for the formation of faith in those young ones that God has called you to lead. Fathers, you've got a task in it. Uh, Ellen White identifies that you are supposed to be her main cheerleader. You're supposed to be there to support in the work. And I still believe that that is indeed true. Um, and so my hope and prayer as we are coming to a close, I had a long text here from Jeremiah. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. We're going, we're going to finish up. So, um, yeah, let's pass through that one. Wow, this is really long. Um, dude. Okay, here it is. Goodness gracious. All right. Um, last quote. Two, last two quotes I wanted to share. Yeah, this is, this is just something. It's an extra, a bonus, if you will. 
Uh, this is from Ellen White again, Patriarchs and Prophets, in the time of trouble just before the coming of Christ. And I would say, I mean, anyone who doesn't recognize that we're nearing that time, I mean, like, it's, you know, I don't know what I can do for you, but, um, yeah, I guess I yeah, definitely, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the, the, we, you know, the righteous will be preserved through the ministration of heavenly angels. We need the angels on our side. I thought I'd get more than amens than that. But yeah, we need the angels on our side. Um, but there will be no security for the transgressors of God's law. My Lord. Continues on and it says, angels cannot then protect those who are disregarding one of the divine precepts. Now, obviously, we know that God winks at our ignorance and so he's not going to, you know, hold it on us when we don't know any better. But when we do know better, he's going to hold us to it. It continues on. Let me see. This is the last quote from F.E. London. In these last days of peril and emergency, we need the special protection of God's angels. And I, 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 was, I was drawn to this because of what he had to say here. This is a, a, a writing from one of our Adventist publications. Um, over our families and ourselves as individuals for a thousand evils. We, we, we need that covering over our family. We, we see that happen here in the, in the rest stop with Moses and his family. He was about to die just because of the argument that he and his wife had earlier on. And, and that was God um, about to do that to him. Imagine what Satan is trying to plan for your family. We need angels on our side. It continues on and it says, from destruction of life and property, from the sword, from epidemics. Hmm? We've gotten a little more familiar with what that means now. From perils on land and on sea, and from Satan's deep laid plots to draw us out of truth. But God's promise of protection and care are given on condition of obedience and faithfulness in the performance of every known duty. As we're coming to a close, maybe not, there we go. As we're coming to a close, again, I call to the parents, to the Mothers particularly. Take seriously the call that God has placed on your life. I speak to you as one who is upstream from many of you. Praise God for the young ones that are here, the, 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 the toddlers and the little infants in arms. But I, I, I speak to you as one who ministers to those who are 15, 16, 70, 20 years away from where you are right now. The old Chinese proverb goes that you can bend a tree while it's young. You can mold it, you can fashion it, you can make it look whatever you want to look like while it's young, while it's tender. But once it's old, it is what it is. Okay, that's not the Chinese proverb, but you get what I mean, okay. Um, the point is, the opportunity to prepare the children from now is in your hands. Amen. Do what you can by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit.
to prepare them for an adulthood that is faith-filled. Thank you. And may God bless.